Hey, this is Josh Herrera, and I am so glad that you have joined us today. If you are a part of our Lighthouse Church family, we would love to connect with you via our social media at Lighthouse Church NC or online at lighthousechurchnc.org. We want to get you plugged into a connect group or on the dream team so that you are doing life together with people just like you. We hope you enjoyed today's message and stay tuned for more announcements at the end of our podcast. Amen. Clap your hands one last time and you may be seated. Kingdom culture. Now, before I get this plane up off the ground to a cruising altitude, I want to just prep this sermon series for you. Is that okay? I want you to say kingdom. Say kingdom. Because I want to break down what this title really means because it's not just a cool title and it's not just something that some of you are like, I want to wear that on a t-shirt. Cool, we're going to get some t-shirts for you, all right? Um, but what is kingdom culture really talking about? Well, kingdom, when we talk about it in a biblical context, you might hear the word kingdom in short form to refer to the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is the spiritual realm over which God reigns as king the kingdom of god is the spiritual realm over which god reigns as king but it is also often used as a reference to the fulfillment of god's will being done here on earth when the disciples approached jesus and they asked him jesus would you please teach us how to pray jesus taught them this very eloquent prayer and many of you know that prayer you might have had to recite it growing up i know that my boys are learning to say that prayer by memory Jaden got it down my five-year-old judy he's getting there um but this is something that we've taught our boys it's called the lord's prayer and in that prayer there's this statement it says thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so when we talk about the kingdom, when we're talking about kingdom culture, we're using the word kingdom in short form to refer to the kingdom of God. God's will manifest really wherever he decides to go, but specifically in talking about God's will being manifest here on earth. How many of you know that we are not earthly beings having a spiritual experience? How many know that we are spiritual creation having an earthly experience? This world is not our home. We are just passing through. And so when we talk about bringing the will of God, the, the kingdom of God here on earth, we're saying, God, we want your spiritual realm to reign supreme here on this earth. Everybody say kingdom. Now, let me talk about culture. Culture is a more general term, and it's the underlying beliefs, assumptions, values and ways of interaction in a unique environment or in an organization it's the way people talk to each other it might be the way people dress it's the way people interact with one another in a unique environment or an organization this word is becoming more and more popular as people try to define the way we should be interacting within our organization. How many of you at your job have you heard that word culture being tossed around? It's kind of emerging. We got to fix the culture. We want the culture to be well. And, and what they're talking about is we really want to be intentional about the way that we interact with one another. So that's culture. When we talk about kingdom culture now, we're putting together these two words to create this concept that we can um, bring the beliefs, the assumptions, the values, and the way that people think by God's will, 
God's way of doing it, God's value system, God's belief system, and we can create a culture of those values here on earth. That's what kingdom culture is all about. Kingdom culture is intentionally saying we will not follow the culture of this world, but we will embrace the values and the beliefs and the culture of the kingdom of God. That's what kingdom culture is, and it's the way that we interact with one another, and it's the way we interact with people outside of the kingdom of God, people that do not know Christ as their Lord and Savior, people that may blaspheme against God or they think he does not exist. Well, guess what? Jesus taught us how we should interact with them as well. And so kingdom culture is bringing those two things into alignment. And so that's what we're going to be focusing our time on over the next five weeks. This series is going to lead us right into Baptism Sunday, which I mentioned earlier is going to be the last Sunday of the month of July. Are you all still with me? Okay, now let's get to the text. Luke chapter 2. I want you to open up your Bibles if you have them. If you got a, if you want to open up the Bible app on your cell phone, that is completely cool. And if you want to read the Bible on the screen, we'll get it up there as well. But let's read the passage that we have for today. Every year, I'm sorry, chapter 2, verse 41. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. Everybody say as usual. That's important. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth. But Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him. I think that's funny right there. Let's just stop right there. His parents didn't even miss him. How many of you sometimes don't even miss your own children? <laughs> My wife told me the other day, we need to go on a vacation soon, like without the kids. We need a good two-week break. I said, baby, it's coming, all right? I'm like so far from the text right now. But I just love that right there. I mean, it's like, it's the king of kings and the lord of lords. And Mary and Joseph were like, I don't even miss the kid. I don't. I don't care that he can walk on water and turn water into wine. I don't miss him. Anyway, I've completely digressed. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. My wife, we were talking about this passage of scripture. She's like, I mean, how did they get all the way to the evening? And it really was just a different time. And it was a more communal time. And it was just like, you know, there was a, you know, there was a time when you just knew your kids with, with the aunt and uncle. And it was just like that. And they lived in community. And they did life together. And when Jesus wasn't around, Mary and Joseph just assumed he was probably running around with his cousin John. All right? Now, when they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later. My God. Three days you know, I was feeling, I'm everywhere right now, but I was feeling bad because I was watching my nephew yesterday. I'm going to confess right now, and then y'all never going to want me to watch your kids. And um, I got completely distracted by the ice cream man. And we were at the beach, and the, the guy was coming by selling ice cream. And like every good father, I took my eyes off of my nephew. We couldn't find him for about 12 minutes. But then we found him, okay? Those were a scary 12 minutes. But um, this was three days, okay? So I'm feeling better about myself, all right? <laughs> Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, <laughs> sitting among the religious. Just so you know, we found him, okay? And he was like 10 feet away from us. He joined another party, and, and, and they, they, he's so cute. They were just happy to have him. And they're like, do y'all want your baby back? And we're like, please, he's not mine. I got to give him back to my brother. Listening to them and asking questions, all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic searching for you everywhere. Last passage here. 
But why? Now, this is Jesus talking, 12-year-old Jesus. But why did you need to search, he asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he meant. For just a few moments, I want to talk to you on this message that the Lord laid on my heart, part one of kingdom culture, and I'm calling it losing Jesus. Losing Jesus. Look at your neighbor and say that to them. Would you tell them losing Jesus? As we kick off kingdom culture, and I've kind of got this whole thing up in the air, what we are going to do is we're going to focus on the things that Jesus actually said. You see, if you still have a Bible, like I'm talking about the, 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 the kind that's leather bound and you still like to lift the pages, that's the way I prefer to read the Bible. I'm, I'm not great at reading the Bible on a phone. If, if that's your way of doing it, totally cool. But in my Bible, the words that Jesus actually spoke are in red letters. Those red letters, for those of you that have ever wondered, man, why these letters are in red? Because they're highlighting the things that Jesus actually said. And the reason that's so important to kingdom culture is because I have learned that our language influences our behavior and our behavior shapes our culture. I'm going to say that one more time so you get that. Our language begins to influence our behavior and our behavior shapes our culture. If that, is, if that is what science is proving more and more, and if that is what psychology is, is affirming more and more, then it is very important to look at the language of Jesus. Because even Jesus' words at 12 years old began to shape the culture of his time. And his words didn't just shape the culture of his time, but here we are, 2,000 years later, still reverberating from how he shaped the culture of his time. No one has spoken like Jesus has spoken. No one's words have carried more weight than the weight of Jesus' words. There's been a lot of good men and a lot of good women who have walked this earth, and they have done a lot of amazing things, but there's, no, there's never been anyone like Jesus. How many know that his words have been life to yourself? How many of you can agree that his words have rocked my way of thinking? How many of you can amen me and tell me that his words have completely changed the way that I think and so our approach to kingdom culture is to dissect the things that he said because his his language the things he the things that he said it shifted behavior and it shifted the culture of his time now I teach to the team here at Lighthouse to our dream team I like to give them a lot of language and I like to teach them how to have a critical conversation. How many of you do not like having those confrontational critical conversations? Come on, where you at? Where are all my passive people in the room? You see, you're so passive, you won't even raise your hand. You're like, no, I'm not going to do it. Not going to do it. But there's some people that just really dislike having critical conversations. And my wife, she thinks I'm good at them. She's like, Josh, you go have that conversation. You're great at it. Some of you are so passive. You're like, no, I'm just going to text him. No, you need to eyeball to eyeball, have a conversation. I heard this yesterday on a show. Someone was chewing out her coworker. She said, we're going to have a come to Jesus meeting and I'm Jesus. I was like, that's good. I like that. I'm going to use that on my son one of these days. No, it's blasphemous. But, um, but, but it's, it's really cool when you get this concept of how much our words begin to shape behavior. So what I've taught our team is, and, and, and when you work on the dream team, you deal with people. And people come with baggage and people come with problems. No one in this room is perfect. Amen? 
You see all the people that think they're perfect, like, I'm not saying amen. I've got my stuff together. You got your stuff. We all have our issues. But I've taught them how to have a good conversation. And, and, and this is not biblical, but this will help you in so many arenas, okay? And we'll get to the Bible in just a minute. But I told them that the best way to have a conversation is you start off by thanking them for what they do. You don't come in guns blazing, but you come in. And let's just say for a second, I'm going to talk to one of our hosts here. Our hosts are the ones that help you find a seat. They do an incredible job. As a matter of fact, can we clap our hands and honor all of our hosts that serve you here? But if I was to have a conversation with Sam, and I have yet to have a conversation with Sam like this because he is phenomenal. He's, a, he's an incredible leader, and he does a phenomenal job here. But if I had to have a critical conversation with him, I would start it off something like this. You know, Sam, I want to thank you for your investment into this house. I'm so thankful that you joined this team right when we were dreaming about this. I mean, you came when we were at a coffee shop just dreaming about what this would look like, and I value here on this team. You see how I started that conversation? You just teed that whole thing up. And then you get into, hey, I noticed you did something. Now, if this is assuming he did something that I'm like, yo, why, why would you want to do that? That's a bad thing to do. And then I would ask him, hey, I noticed you did this. C can you tell me why? Could you walk me through why you did that thing? You see how we've softened that conversation? And then at the very end, after he's explained to me why he did what he did, then I, was, then I would say, thank you so much. Now I understand. And if there's time to bring a correction, you bring correction. And then at the end of that, you say, once again, Sam, thank you so much for all that you do. I, I can't imagine doing church without you. That's how you have a critical conversation right there. Do you all get that? All right. There's a pastor that, um, and I'm going somewhere with this, so hang out with me. There's a pastor whose teachings have greatly influenced my life, and he shared this story about on Easter weekend, and it's a large, large church. It's the second largest church in this country, and they have services for Easter. I mean, they start on Friday. They go Saturday. They go Sunday. They go to Monday. It's just a huge, huge event at their church. But on Saturday night, he tells the story that he allowed his son to stay home from church that day, and uh, his son, I think was at about 15, 16 at the time, and he's hanging out with friends and uh, he, he allows him to stay out late. The pastor comes home from church. He's right in the middle of Easter services, Easter weekend, and he gets a phone call at night, and it's the sheriff. And they said, Mr. Hodges, we just caught your son, and he was with another group of young boys, and they were drinking, and none of them are the legal age of drinking. We need to come down and pick them up. Told them the location, and there goes the pastor, right? You can imagine. It's Easter week, and he's trying to, like, preach Jesus and get people to come out of the grave and all that good stuff, you know? And his son, the PK, underage drinking. And he shares this story about how when he walked to where his son was, he saw uh, one of his son's friends being just completely berated by his dad who had come to pick him up. And his dad's just going into him. And he said, that is it. I have had it with you. I am sick of this behavior. You are moving out of the house. We are putting you in that school. And he's just going to town on him, just going to town on him. And the pastor walks past that and made it up in his mind, that's not the way I'm going to talk to my son. So he goes to where his son is, and his son is in the back of, a, of the sheriff's car at that time, and he peeks his head into the window, and he smiles at his son, and his son just starts bawling. And this is what the father said to the son. He said, son, I have never loved you more than I love you right now. You see how that just changes the environment? And then he said to his son, but son, you need to know you have never needed me more than you need me right now. And then he said, this is not you. This behavior that you did is not okay. But son, this is not you. You're a child of God. You're a son of the most high. And this is not what we do. You ready to go home? 
Come on, let's go home. Do you see how that conversation can completely shift that environment? And do you see how that language that you use can completely change what you want to see? The first thing that I want you to write, I want you to write this down for those of you that are taking notes. And if you're not taking notes, write this down. Um, our words build up or tear down. Our words will either build up or they will tear down. That's why I want to get at Jesus's words today. And mom and dad, I just gave you some great parenting tips right there. I hope you caught that because you have the opportunity to either bring your child down or you have the opportunity to lift them up. Our children deal with a lot of pressures here in this world. And mom and dad, if we're honest in this place, we all know where our kids are deficient, right? Let's be honest, mom and dad. No, he's perfect. No one's kid is perfect, okay? Come on. We just talked about Jesus being lost for three days, and he was perfect. Um, our kids have deficiencies, and then they have strengths as well. And, and, and parents, you never want to be that parent that says, why do you always do this? Why do you always say that? Son, why are you never focused? Daughter, why are you always doing this? Instead of highlighting those areas where your kids are deficient, you need to speak to the areas that they are strong. You need to speak to the areas that they are gifted. You need to speak to the areas where God has really built them up. And you highlight those things. And you let them know, this is what I love about you, son. This is what I love about you, son. This is not to say that you're going to completely gloss over their weaknesses, but if you're constantly highlighting your son or daughter's weakness, if you're constantly highlighting it, it's going to wound them. And it's the same thing for your marriages. What we do in Growth Track, in step three of Growth Track, we do this thing that I love to do. It's a disc assessment where we help everyone identify their strengths and their weaknesses, and I teach husbands and wives, now that you know your spouse's weakness, you give them grace for their weakness. You don't berate their weakness. You know that that's the area that they are lacking, so you know what you do? You give them grace. I know where my wife lacks, and so I give her grace for that thing. She knows where I lack, and she gives me grace for those things. And our words make all the distance. Everybody say words. Proverbs 18.20 says it this way. Wise words satisfy like a good meal. The right words bring satisfaction. The tongue can bring death or it can bring life. Those who love to talk are going to reap the consequences. Jesus' life here on earth was roughly 33 years. He was in ministry. His words were recorded outside of this passage of Scripture for only about three years of his life. We were able to get his words, and yet he spoke in such a way that he brought life. Jesus spoke in such a way that he didn't tear anything down other than a broken religious system. How many know that when Jesus spoke, it brought life? When they brought the woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, did he tear her down or did he build her up? He built her up. And this happened throughout the scriptures. If there's one thing we have got to get about the language of the kingdom, the words of our kingdom, is that our words need to build people up and not tear them down. Jesus was constantly building people up and the way that he spoke was indicative of the culture that he was establishing here on earth can i get in a good amen so when jesus speaks we need to listen now if you look at the context of 
Luke chapter 2, and if I were to exegete some of this text for you, every year his family would make that trek from where they lived over to Jerusalem for the Passover. They did this to memorialize. You guys remember that word, memorial? We talked about that. Uh, we talked about memorializing our moments. They did this to memorialize when they were in Egypt and the final plague came because God was trying to rescue Israel out of Egypt. And the last plague that finally broke Pharaoh was when the death angel sweeped through the streets of Egypt and every house that did not have the blood of a lamb on its doorpost, that the, 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 the firstborn child would die. But when the death angel saw the blood of the lamb, it would pass over that home and the, those children were preserved. And so every year they would honor this, they would celebrate it, and it was not just a memorial to Egypt, but we know this today, it was a foreshadow to Calvary when the blood of a spotless lamb would be shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And this trip was different because Jesus was not caught up in the festivities that year i had you say out loud as usual because sometimes our sunday experience if we're not careful is i went to church on sunday as usual going through what i always do on a sunday and his parents went through that the routine of the festivities of celebrating Passover as usual, but Jesus was on his way to a different path. I don't have time to take you through all of it, but Jesus at 12 years old was on a path to becoming a rabbi, a teacher of the scriptures. And part of the process of a young man becoming a rabbi, and we know this because how many times did they call him teacher, master, rabbi in the gospel account? Many, many times because he didn't become a carpenter like his dad. He became a rabbi. He did not go into the family business. He became a rabbi, a teacher of the scriptures. And so young boys at right about this age, between the ages of 12 to 15 years old, young boys would sit in the temple. This was part of a process called Beth Madrash in Hebrew custom as boys were going through the process of becoming rabbis. And, and what would happen in Beth Madrash is a young boy would have to discuss the scriptures with people who were older than him. And they did this to gauge their understanding of the scriptures. You see, Jewish boys and girls were taught to recite the entire Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, by memory. I mean, everything was by memory. It was an oral tradition, and it was a custom that they get taught the Bible. And so young boys that had the acumen to become a rabbi could literally recite the entire Old Testament from memory. Isn't that amazing? And so what made this trip special to Jesus is Jesus is now of age in the process where he can go to the temple and discuss the scriptures with the other teachers. And I mean, he's in Jerusalem. This is Mecca. I mean, this is home. This is the epicenter of their faith. And he sees that opportunity to have a conversation about the scriptures. The Bible said that they were amazed they were amazed at the things that he was able to say, the way that he was able to interpret the Old Testament scriptures and bring them into modern day relevance. And that continued throughout his three and a half year ministry here on earth. How many times did Jesus say something and they were like, I've never looked at the scriptures in that light. He would say things like the scriptures tell us 
The, the, the law tells us that it's unlawful to commit adultery, but I tell you it's unlawful to even look at a woman lustfully. And they were like, oh, wait, no one ever said that. I thought it was just the act. And Jesus began to say, it's about the intent, the heart. That's the stuff that Jesus used to do as he was now starting to shift the culture. And he was bringing down the kingdom of God here onto earth in a way that had never been done before. And so when Mary finally arrives to where Jesus is at at the temple, she pulls him aside and she asks him this question. Jesus, why have you done this to us? Me and your father have been going crazy looking for you. And Jesus does the most incredible thing that a person can do. And again, he's only 12 years old, but he asks his mom a leading question. Do y'all know what a leading question is? A leading question is the question that you ask when you already know the answer. You're just trying to get the other person to see it. This is a great negotiation tactic, by the way. For those of you that like to negotiate, I mean, like, you're the dude that likes to go haggle at the car dealership, and you get a kick out of that. Leading questions are great. And Jesus, at 12 years old, has the wherewithal to ask his mom a leading question. And he asks her this question, because why were you looking for me? Why were you looking for me? You want to know why that was a leading question? Because he was getting her to acknowledge, because I lost you. And instead of saying, Mom, why'd you lose me? Now, my son would probably just belt it out like that. That's what my boy would do. I mean, there is just like no silver lining with Jude. He is just so, I mean, my Judy boy, he is just black and white. He would just say, why'd you lose me, Dad? And Jesus was smarter than that. He asked his mom, why did you need to look for me? And what he was doing was bringing her to this place where he's getting her to understand because I lost you. This is not a point, but it's a question. But I'm going to make a point out of it. So write this down. How do you lose Jesus? I mean, how do you lose Jesus? I thought about that for a moment. I realized it's not as hard as you think. It's not that hard to lose Jesus. Let me explain to you how you can lose Jesus. And some of you might have a moment where you're like, I think I lost him. You lose Jesus when he becomes an option rather than a necessity. And though you may not say that, your actions reflect that. He's an option. Will I go to church today? I got nothing else to do. Might as well. That's how you start to lose Jesus. Should I pray today? I got some time. Why not? I think I can work that in. That's how you begin to lose Jesus. Should I get in my Bible today? Well, I don't know. Let's see. I, I got a little bit of time. No one's texting me back. No one's responding to my DMs. <laughs> Let's read the Bible. You want to know when you want to know how you lose Jesus? When you start treating him like an option rather than a necessity. We start to lose Jesus when we focus on the temporary rather than the eternal. We lose Jesus when we are more concerned with what is temporary than with what is eternal. Our heart just longs for stuff. And I like stuff too. But some of us like stuff to the degree that we're destroying ourselves over stuff. Destroying our lives, not knowing how to manage stuff, not even realizing that that stuff will eventually create baggage for your marriage. That stuff you had to have so you got it on credit because you couldn't pay for it because your treasures and your heart were stored up here on earth, not up in heaven. We lose Jesus when we're so focused on the temporary that we ignore the eternal. We lose Jesus when we make him a Sunday accessory rather than our lifeline. Some of us treat Jesus like an accessory rather than a lifeline. But can I read some scriptures to you 
that the writer Paul says about Jesus. The first one's in Acts chapter 17. He says this of Jesus. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. Paul said without Jesus, without him bringing the life and the breath that only he could bring, I would be dead. Paul was so enamored with him that he said, he's everything to me. He was so, he was clinging on to the revelation of who he is that he said, Jesus satisfies my every need. Another passage of scripture says it this way. His purpose, talking about Jesus, his purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and to find him. For it is in him that we live that we move, and that we exist. Jesus is not an option, and he's not an accessory. He is the life. He is, gives me breath. He's the air that I breathe. Without him, I would be so lost, and there's nothing in this world that could ever satisfy me like Jesus. Clap your hands if you believe that to be true of your life. And unfortunately, some of what we do is we pray, 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 pray for God to do something in our life, and the minute he does it, we forget about him. I've seen so many single people fast for a man, pray for a man, do all kinds of things to get their, to get their boo thing. And the minute he shows up, you drop Jesus. How do you lose Jesus? You drop him because all of a sudden you got your prayer answered. How do you lose Jesus? When we allow what should be celebrated to become ordinary and common. My God. The fact that we can come in here and worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The fact that we can come into this house and give God our best praise and our best worship, we should never let that become ordinary and common. Sometimes we don't even worship because we don't even like the song. I don't like that song. I'm not going to worship. You start losing Jesus when you take on that attitude. You take on that attitude when the thing that is supposed to be meaningful, celebrated, adored, it's just an option. It's just if I feel like it. That's how you lose Jesus. We lose Jesus when he comes secondary to our career, when he's second to our hobbies, when he's second to our kids' sport, league, our kids sport leagues, and the list goes on and on and on. Every time Jesus plays second fiddle, you're starting to lose him. You're starting to lose him. Jesus asked Mary that question. Why are you looking for me, Mom? trying to bring her to this point. And I know I'm making an application of the scripture here, but the application fits in this culture that we, look, that we live in. Too many of us are making Jesus an option. If I got time, if I feel like it, if, 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 if there's room on my schedule, and, and Jesus doesn't want to be your option. He wants to be your savior and Lord of all. He wants to be in everything and through everything. We've got to have that heart like Paul. And, and it was because Paul knew that only Jesus could satisfy his needs. Paul was a man that was used to living with a lot of stuff. And then when he became a Christian, he had nothing. All the stuff passed. A lot of friends left him. He was all alone at that point. And uh, he, went, he, he, he just went fully devoted for the cause of Christ. Paul would write in the book of Philippians, he would say, I know what it's like to have a lot of stuff. And I know what it's like to have nothing. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he was, that's the point he was making. I know what it is to abound, and I know what it is to not have much of anything at all. And you know what he said? But I've learned how to be joyful in all of that. 
Why? Because he realized that Jesus plus nothing still equals everything. He knew that Jesus plus nothing still equals everything. Some of you are trying to have everything but not have Jesus, and you could attain all the wealth in this world, and you could attain all the friends in this world, and you could attain all the accolades in this world. But if you don't have Jesus, you will never fill your soul. I said, you're never going to fill your soul if you don't have Jesus. And so he asks his mom that question, and then he goes on to tell his mom, and I'm coming to close now. Jesus tells his mother, he said, don't you know that I must be in my father's house? In the King James Version, the way I learned it growing up was, don't you know that I need to be about my father's business? Very quickly, we see Jesus aligning his purpose with that of his heavenly father and not of his earthly father. His father was Joseph. He was a carpenter. And Jesus is like, don't you know I got to be about my father's business? Right there, he made a statement. I'm not aligning with the culture of this world. The kingdom of God and the kingdom culture and the culture of my heavenly father, that's where I'm aligning myself. Write this down. My business is God's business. My business is God's business. You see, the culture of the kingdom sees our business this way. I shared this scripture on Instagram, and I'll read it one more time. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. We're going to put it up on the screen. And this is in the message translation. This was written by the Apostle Paul. And um, I love the way the message translation reads because it gives us some clarity and some perspective that I think is really going to hit home with you. Paul said this. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture. Everybody say your culture. That you fit into it without even thinking. Some of us are some of us are fitting in so well to the culture of this world that we don't even realize that we're supposed to be fitting into the culture of the kingdom of God. And it's a different value system. It's a different belief system. And the way we interact with people is different when you have acclimated to the kingdom, uh, to the kingdom culture rather than the culture of this world. And Paul said, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize, readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. He says it again. Unlike the culture around you, always bringing you down to its level of immaturity, but God brings the best out of you, and he develops well-informed, I'm sorry, well-formed maturity inside of you. Come on, clap your hands as we celebrate that council right there because I think it's worth celebrating. Paul is saying, don't get so focused on the culture of this world. And if there ever was a time when we should not align our values with the culture of this world, it is now. And parents, it's only going to get worse. You got you to make a decision right now. If you lost Jesus, it's time, to found it. it's time to find him. If you never knew him, today is the day that you can raise your hand and say, God, I want to align myself with your culture and not this world's culture. I want to align myself with your value system and not this world's value system. I want to align myself with the things that break your heart, God, not the things that break this world 
world's heart. God, I want to align myself with the kingdom of God. I want to fit into that culture. And we're going to be talking about this all month long as we get into July. But some of you are at this point right now where you've got to make a choice. What culture do you want to fit into, the culture of this world or the culture of the kingdom? I am a citizen of the kingdom of God. And I refuse to bow my knee to the culture of this world and the customs of this world and the kingdom of this age. I refuse to bow a knee to it. As a pastor, I get asked so many times, what's your stance on this? How do you feel about this? What do you think about this? And everybody wants you to take a position. Are you on that side? Are you on that side? Are you on the right side? Are you on the left side? Are you a liberal? Are you a conservative? And every time my answer is, I'm aligned with the kingdom of heaven. I am aligned with the kingdom of God. It's not about being right and it's not about being left. It's about being a child of God and embracing the value system of my heavenly father. And his values teach me to love everyone. So I'm going to love everyone. His values teach me to pray and to love my neighbor, so I'm going to love my neighbor. He says, don't hate your enemy, so I'm not going to hate my enemy. I am going to go lock, sink. I am going to walk as he walks. If Jesus goes this way, that's the way that I'm going. If Jesus goes this way, then that's the way I'm going. Paul said, it's in him that I live and that I move. I want to move where he moves. I want to move where he moves. And don't let, listen, when you are a citizen of the kingdom of God, don't let anyone put you into their box. You don't belong in their box. You are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Did Jesus really say all of that at 12 years old? He certainly applied it. He said, I'm going to be about my father's business. Now, people around him would be like, but your father's a carpenter. I mean, what are you doing here? But he knew what he was talking about. He knew that when he said, I'm about my father's business, he knew that he was aligning himself with his father. Now, does this mean you got to go and quit your job and work full time for the church? Pastor Josh, we got an army of people ready to come work for the church. That's not it at all. What Paul is saying here in Romans chapter 12 is simply this. I want you to take everything that you do and I want you to do it under God. Because many of you are not happy where you're at, whether it be job, community, status, whatever it is, some of you don't realize that you're there because God placed you there. He put you there to bring the kingdom of God there, to bring a completely different set of values into that system. So your job that you don't like, I don't like this job. Maybe you're on assignment. Have you ever thought for a second that God might have put you there as a missionary to your coworkers? Have you ever thought for a moment that perhaps you are there at that job because God placed you there? Paul said, I want you to take your life and lay it before God as an offering. That's what we do as citizens of the kingdom. Amen? I want you to lean in for a moment. Close your eyes. Bow your heads. I'm done. I bring the worship team out. I don't want to lead you in a prayer, and then we're going to go through some steps. If we can dim the lights for just a moment, and let's, let's lean in right now. Holy Spirit, I've spoken everything that I can say, but God, I need you to do what only you can do. So, Father, I pray that you move in every heart right now. I pray that every spirit would begin to see the things that you want us to see so that you would expose those areas of our life that if we're not careful, if we give ourselves to that, we're going to lose you. I want you to bring that to light right now. Reveal it to them. Let them see it. 
We're calling it out, Father, because we want to change it. We're exposing it right now so that you can transform it. Show each and every person in this room that area that needs to change. Show them, Father, those areas where they care more for those things than for your things. They care more about that than they do about you. Bring it to their mind, Lord God. And we're going to bring it to this altar, Father. And we're going to allow you to do the change that only you could do. In Jesus' name we pray. Would you stand to your feet? If this message has blessed your life, I want to encourage you to share this message with others or go online to our website and consider making a donation so that we can continue bringing you content just like today's message. God bless you.